Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, September the 12th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got injuries and roster moves to cover. We'll preview the game Sunday against the Patriots. And we'll compare this team to the 1-15 2007 team and why Brian Flores is most likely safe regardless of what happens all season long. And we'll finish it up by discussing a Twitter thread on the cost of a franchise quarterback. All of that and more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are a top 200 podcast on Apple Podcasts and a top 100 podcast when it comes to Spotify. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. You can find the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all the written content on this team. Team from your favorite Miami Dolphins source. And before we get into the show, we have some injuries to get to, and that means it's time for the Mad Dog. The Patriots come into this game relatively healthy with only three players on their injury report from Wednesday. All three of them were limited participants in practice. Brandon Bolden, the running back, a familiar face, two touchdowns last year in the Miracle Game. Offensive tackle Marcus Cannon, he's the right tackle. And tight end Matt Lacoste, all limited participants. For Miami, it's much longer. They had two guys that were full participation in Walt Aikens and Charles Harris, the safety and defensive end respectively. Two guys that were limited participants in Jonathan Ledbetter and Bobby McCain. And three guys did not practice Albert Wilson, Trent Harris, and Rashad. Jones. We'll get to the impact of that later on in the episode. But with that, let's go ahead and jump right into the show. That's another Miami Dolphins. Some roster news before we get into it. The Dolphins made a change to the practice squad on Wednesday. Zach Sterup, the longtime offensive tackle here, is now gone. And in his place is new tackle Chidi Okiki. I hope I said that right. He comes from Tennessee State, was undrafted, and again with the prototype. Six foot five, 317 pounds, 35 and a half inch arms. They want dudes with length on this offensive line. They want dudes that are durable and play with competitive toughness. That's the boxes that Okiki checks, which leans perfectly into a question I receive a lot on Twitter these days, and the answer is yes. Emphatically, yes. They will be interested in Iowa tackle, both left and right side, Tristan Wirfs. He is the quintessential tackle this staff is going to like. And speaking of this staff, one bit of information that caught my radar, and we discussed this earlier in the week in my Future Scenarios World segment, about the possibility that the season stays as rough as it was on Sunday against the Ravens, and if Miami were to move on from Brian Flores after just one year, Well, one thing that he has going for him is the contract he signed, and we'll get to that here in just one second. But also, the thing that I think keeps Flores safe this season is that back at his introductory presser, Flores alluded to the fact that he and the Dolphins were on the same page when they interviewed him initially, and that he wasn't going to take the job unless that was the case because he had interest from other clubs, he had interest last year, and said no to those potential jobs because they were not on the same page as he was. Now, was that tanking? I I suppose. But he knew that this is what he was getting into. I just can't imagine Steven Ross bailing on that plan no matter how bad it gets this year unless something very attractive, like in his eyes, Jim Harbaugh, 
not that that would be what's most attractive to us, like Lincoln Riley, for instance, then I think that unless something like that happens, Stephen Ross will stay the course with Brian Flores. But should Brian Flores stick around if this team bottoms out in the fashion of the 2008 Detroit Lions or 2017 Cleveland Browns? I wrote an article a few months back talking about how you basically have to choose between Tua Tungavailoa and Brian Flores because when you get the first pick in the draft, your career does not last long beyond that one season where you were the worst team in the National Football League. And this approach and this season and the expectations around this team could be different. But what happens if this team bottoms out? I wanted to look back at the 2007 squad and compare this team because we know a 49-point deficit is the worst home loss in franchise history, and it got me thinking about the comparisons between 2007 and Cam Cameron's squad to this one. When you go back to opening day 2007, the Dolphins lost that game in overtime before things really got out of hand for them, and really, it took up until December before things really snowballed into a weekly blowout edition of this team because six of their first 11 games were decided by exactly a field goal, and even with that win sandwiched in between those final five games, Three of the four losses were absolute beatdown blowout losses, but still, the Dolphins on that season averaged a negative 10.25 points per game deficit, a total of 164 points negative in the point differential deficit. Last year's team under Adam Gaze, the one that won six more games than the 2007 team, had only 50 points less in the point differential, an average of about 7.5 points per game. So that kind of gives you an idea of what Brian Flores was working with when he first got here before they lopped off all the talent they did get rid of. But this Dolphins team is going to have to find a way to be more competitive because right now the negative 49-point differential is a long way off from the 10-point differential negative that team had back in 2007. But what about the roster construction? We know about the 26% overhaul just in the last week alone. The Dolphins offseason that year compared to this offseason was a big difference. The 2007 Miami Dolphins spent over $40 million in free agency, namely on Joey Porter. They brought guys back like Vonnie Holiday and Keith Trailer and Jeremiah Bell and Donnie Spragan, all players that were basically on the other side, on the back nine, if you will, of their careers. They added David Martin, the tight end. They drafted Ted Ginn, who was an interim, right now must succeed type of draft pick because of his return ability. And that all equaled about $50 million, $45 million in assets spent. This year, the Dolphins only spent less than $20 million in free agents, and over half of that was on Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you consider the idea that these two teams had coming into the season. The 2007 team was more competitive because, frankly, they wanted to be. This year's team was not the case. But that 2007 team, all those injuries they stacked up was when things really started to get bad. Of course, that Patriots loss, the safety play they had with Cameron Worrell getting mossed by Randy Moss. Well, now, and since I alluded to it earlier, Rashad Jones is questionable and Bobby McCain has that shoulder injury. The depth beyond those guys is a bunch of undrafted free agents and newcomers from the last week. So things could really go off the rails in that same direction with an even worse roster around it. So this has the look and makings of a team that could possibly go 1-15, maybe even 0-16. There are some comparisons there and where they're not comparisons, this year's squad really on paper looks even worse. And we'll continue this discussion. You guys can find the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the game preview. But first, did you have a long day at work today? Are you still stuck in the office? Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. 
Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's DoorDash, promo code Locked On. And I'll probably be using the DoorDash app next week when I go to a Washington State Cougars versus UCLA Bruins game. And how did I get to that game? With our partners, Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that will last a lifetime. With Vivid Seats, listeners can watch their favorite teams and artists perform in person, earning credit back on purchases made through the Vivid Seats app via the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. I got those tickets for the Washington State game. They gave me back some loyalty points that'll go towards future endeavors to sporting events, concerts, whatever it is, you guys can find it through the Vivid Seats app. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program and will enjoy credits on all their purchases as part of Vivid Seats Rewards. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 on your order. That's promo code KICKOFF for up to $100 in discounts on your favorite live events. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Talked a lot about the Washington State Cougars, my school, the school that I currently attend and going to the game on Saturday against UCLA next Saturday. And former Cougar quarterback Gardner Minshew, too, is set to start his first career NFL game in place of the injured Nick Foles. If you guys haven't heard the story on Gardner Minshew doing his stretches and workouts in the locker room in either just a jock strap or buck naked with the headband and sunglasses, you got to check that out. He is an awesome character, my favorite Coug of all time. And he's playing the Texans in that start. So I think we can all join in here and murmur a collective Go Cougs for this Sunday with the Jaguars and Texans, hopefully improving Miami's draft pick. And we go back into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, which basically has the connotation of trying to tank for a higher draft pick as we compare the 2007 squad who used their first overall pick the next year on Jake Long over the quarterback Matt Ryan, who has played in 10 playoff games, a Super Bowl, and four Pro Bowls. Well, this year they'll have a chance, hopefully, maybe, to go in the opposite direction. But we look at some of the comparisons between that year's team and this year's team, and I alluded to this in the first segment about why I think Brian Flores is safe. Well, Cam Cameron, back when he got his contract, it was cheap, much cheaper for coaches back then, and he only got the four-year deal with the fourth year being an option. But Brian Flores was the only coach out of eight One quarter of the league turned over their head coach this year. Brian Flores was the only one of the eight that got a five-year deal fully guaranteed. He's the only one. Kyle Shanahan got that in San Francisco with John Lynch. Brian Flores gets it here in Miami. And that's why I think that's kind of a nod to the idea that they'll throw away the 2019 season and then Brian Flores' four-year contract from there basically begins. So that 2007 team had intentions of trying to compete that year. They weren't concerned about the future. This current iteration of Miami Dolphins football was pushing resources into the future, had a two or three-year vision as their scope, and attacked it accordingly. That team had only nine draft picks the following year, but most of those picks were in the sixth and fifth and seventh round later on day three. We know about Miami having potentially 12 picks in the top 100 over the next two years. 
And the result of all that really is that the 2017 gave us some competitive games, at least a bunch of field goal losses. This team probably not going to do the same thing, but the good news is the future on the horizon looks better. And what better way to tie this all up than to say the 2018 went right back into the postseason and won the AFC East the last time they did it in 2008. And why did they do that? Because they found Chad Pennington open or available rather on the open market. It's kind of funny how a quarterback can do that. That's the idea for 2020. Get our version of Chad Pennington and start to rebuild this thing. Okay, let's stop talking about the past. Let's go forward and get into this week two game against the New England Patriots. The Dolphins host the Patriots in the venue. Miami has won this contest five of the last six seasons. One o'clock Eastern kickoff on September 15th at Hard Rock Stadium. The weather calls for scattered thunderstorms, 87 degrees, 72% humidity, and a 40% chance of rain in this game. From the Vegas angle, the Dolphins are 19-point dogs at home. A huge, my goodness, a massive spread. In fact, the last time a home team was that big of a dog in the NFL, back in 2007, it wasn't the Dolphins, though. It was the team the Dolphins beat that year. The Ravens were home against the Patriots, and they were 19-point dogs in that game, and actually wound up only losing by three points on a field goal late in that game. So the historical context is all there. How about what this Patriots team offers to compete with Miami in this week two contest? Look, we all know these schemes are relatively similar across multiple fronts. As far as the defense goes, Bill Belichick and his legendary genius continues. He's going to deploy varying schemes designed to minimize the Dolphins' strength, which right now, do we know what that is? And they're going to force the offense to play left-handed, which might not be a bad thing because, like I said, I don't know if they have a right hand to play with. Their rush scheme comes through disguise, gap integrity, and linebackers that excel at shortening angles to the quarterback. If the Dolphins cannot reset the line of scrimmage and beat the two gap-minded Patriots to the landmarks on their outside zone looks, this offense is going to struggle again, and I don't know how they get that accomplished because that's just not something they're built to do, but that is what they're going to have to do on Sunday. And nobody plays more man coverage than the New England Patriots last year, 54%. So expect Miami to entice the Patriots into some base personnel and then throw footballs to the running backs. If you want to start somebody in fantasy, I would think maybe Kenyon Drake's the best bet. But again, last week, he only had the six touches. But I would think he'll get more in this game because he ran the hardest and looked like the Dolphins' best back on the field. And he has had success against the Patriots in the past. On the Patriots' offense, same story. It's going to be the Erhart Perkins scheme that is the most advanced version of the ENP scheme in the league, a system that empowers the quarterback to dictate his full field complement with short, streamlined verbiage. Brady, you're going to hear him call out one or two name calls to either side of the field. That changes the route concept or the route combination, I should say, to that side of the field. And the beautiful thing, if you can take off your Patriots hater blinders, which I understand is difficult, but the beauty of this Patriots offense is they can find a way to adapt to their parts better than anybody else I've ever seen. Last year, they barely ever took the tight end off the field. And now in the post-Rob Gronkowski era, Josh McDaniels rolls out 20 personnel, which is two backs, no tight ends, and three receivers on the field over and over again to take the Steelers defense to task like they do every single year. And the Patriots will do everything they can to set the defense up and then counter that conventional wisdom and go after the vulnerabilities, first down passes, short yardage and goal line runs, and matchup exploits to the likes that are not duplicated across the league NFL-wide. 
And as far as the players go, going outside of the scheme, it all starts on defense with Devin McCourty, who had the pick last week. He drives that defense with run support, his single high sideline to sideline patrolling exploits, and his exceptional cover skills. And that continues at cornerback with Stephon Gilmore, who can pretty much lock down anybody that lines up across from him. I wonder who he'll take in this game. It could be Devontae Parker or Preston Williams, and then they'll double help with Jakeem Grant or the other tall receiver that he does not take. That's kind of the way they do things because he can win those one-on-one matchups as well as anybody. Donta Hightower and Kyle Van Noy complement one another as well as any other linebacker duo in the game. Their length, their strength at the point of attack, and edge rushing prowess put stress on the quarterback every single snap as he has to ID both of those guys and try to figure out what front the Patriots are running. And up front on that defensive line, Michael Bennett has been an absolute gem for them already. He's a perfect match for that scheme. And Dietrich Wise, keep an eye on him. He's an unsung hero of that Patriots defense. On the other side, you know about Tom Brady. And Julian Edelman is the man beater of all man beaters. If you want to run zone defense against the Patriots, you're going to lose. But then he also has the best slot man receiver in the NFL in Edelman. He'll work the tight splits. And then they'll find deep shots down the field to Josh Gordon and Philip Dorsett. And we're going to find out, I suppose, about Antonio Brown, the obnoxious, unpalatable receiver that's now new in New England. I don't know if he's going to play this game. Quite frankly, I still just hope Antonio Brown gets blasted off into the sun somewhere and we never have to hear about him again. As far as the backfield goes, Sonny Michelle, Rex Burkhead, James White, Damian Harris, you name it. These guys can throw everybody at you with multiple different skill sets. On the offensive line, David Andrews, even though he's not there, this line still might be the best in the NFL. Marcus Cannon questionable at right tackle. We'll see if he plays, but it doesn't hurt that they have Dante Skarniecki there, who is the best offensive line coach in the history of the NFL. And as we spin it forward here to the final few segments of the Locked On Dolphins article, looking at the Patriots Dolphins week two preview, I talk about the concerns, the opportunities, and we'll predict the outcome of the game in the third and final segment. But as far as the concerns, pretty much anything that happens after the coin toss is a concern because the route to victory here for Miami is shall we say, very narrow. Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to have pressure on him all game long. They're going to head off the running lanes when Miami tries to shorten the sticks and they'll plaster with their dime defense and multiple defensive back looks on the back end when the Dolphins do get behind said chains. This is probably the best defense Bill Belichick has ever had, maybe going back to the early 2000s, maybe ever in New England. The Dolphins are just undermanned both on offense and on defense with both those safeties maybe not playing in this game or if one of them misses the game. I just don't know how you compete because you're going to have drafted free agents, newcomers that were not here two weeks ago. It lines up to be a difficult game. As far as opportunities, Xavier Howard didn't play in the Miami Miracle game last week when Brady and the Pats went up and down the field in that game. And Brady would be wise to ignore X because the last time he played him, X picked him off twice. But if he wants to challenge Howard, Miami's lone ace in the hole, those turnovers that he could bring could keep Miami in the game. And if you want to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to predicting outcomes of the NFL game, you got to check out my bookie. If you found a hundred bucks on the street, would you keep walking or would you pick it up? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners in football and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie where it's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing now. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is a loser, you can always just take the other side. 
And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, who doesn't? Then try a parlay. If all of your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is easily the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. That's a great deal, guys. Double your first deposit when using promo code locked on to activate that offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. I promise you guys when this team gets more competitive down the road, as longtime listeners of the podcast will know from last season, maybe even back to 2017, that when I preview these games, I will talk in a more glowing fashion about this Dolphins team. I just, I mean, where are the positives with this team right now? It's going to be a long season, and that's why these predictions have been a little bit difficult. Before we get back into the prediction for this game on Sunday, Lamar Jackson, as I'm sure we all figured he would be, was awarded AFC Offensive Player of the Week. His five touchdowns over 300 passing yards in limited action was a given, but the familiar face that earned defensive honors on the other side of the ball, 37-year-old Cam Wake leads the NFL with two and a half sacks, and he is the clubhouse leader right now. After just one week in the Defensive Player of the Year voting, Cam Wake was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Awesome. Awesome for him. Let's jump right back into the predictions here and talk about what I think is going to happen on Sunday. I think Miami will be more competitive in this game and have a better feel for what the Patriots are doing. But as things kind of unwind and Flores has to make in-game adjustments and get all these players aligned who are brand new to the team still, things will start to kind of snowball and get out of control late. That was kind of my prediction for the Ravens game. So we'll see if I'm right this time. But I think the Patriots start off maybe a little bit slower than last week and eventually put it on Miami. 38 to 13, another blowout loss at home. And people will naturally and understandably probably be upset if that happens. You never want to start the year 0-2 at home. But this year's team, again, is ultimately way different because of the expectations and possibly even the approach of the organization. And with that, I wanted to check in with a thread on Twitter that really kind of exemplifies why Miami wanted to get themselves into this position because we saw it on Monday night with Drew Brees and Deshaun Watson, what superstar quarterbacks can do from an entertainment value and from a competitive value, keeping you in games and giving you a chance at the end of every single game you're a part of. We see it all the time in college football. We saw it with Kyler Murray on Sunday with the Cardinals after playing horrendously for three quarters. How many times have we seen Dolphins quarterbacks have games like that? And then the fourth quarter just continues in that same path where you know nothing is going to change. Well, Kyler Murray changed everything in that one quarter of football, including not just the scoreboard, but the perception of his team going forward. That's what you want in your quarterback, a guy that you know when you're down, you can rely on to bring you back. That's what several teams that are great in this league have, and that's what Miami wants. And one of the most tired arguments I see on Twitter all the time is that people will point to the other quarterbacks that were acquired later on in the draft. And that's great. I'm glad that Drew Brees was a second round pick, Tom Brady a sixth round pick, Russell Wilson a third round pick, Dak Prescott a fourth. Yeah, there's going to be examples like that. But take Russell Wilson compared to every other quarterback that got drafted in the third round. How good of a success rate is that for you? It's not high, I promise you. It's not high beyond that. It's not high in the second round. It's not even high in the late or mid first round where you do get some of those quarterbacks. The best place to draft a quarterback is in the top five. The proof is in the pudding. The numbers tell you that. 
and it's never been more true than what it is right now. And this thread comes from a guy named Adam Smoot. I don't know who he is. He's at Adam Smoot on Twitter, and it just says this. I'm going to read through it, talking about tanking and how you acquire a franchise quarterback, and he defined it as this. Since there is no real definition of a franchise quarterback, he chose arbitrary terms of five years with one team and at least two Pro Bowls to your name. And we can argue the semantics of how credible that is, but I think for the most part, it qualifies most of the good quarterbacks. You're always going to have exceptions to the rule, but again, for the most part, it puts you in the right territory for finding out what you want. And he says this, here's how drafting your quarterback in the first round has broken down since the year 2000. Picks 16 through 32, 15 quarterbacks. Only one of those guys was deemed a franchise quarterback when you use the two Pro Bowls and five years with the same team. That's a percentage of 6.67%, according to Adam Smoot. Picks 11 through 15, three quarterbacks drafted in that range. Only one of them hit the benchmarks for franchise quarterback. Picks 6 through 10, where Ryan Tannehill was taken. Five quarterbacks selected, zero franchise quarterbacks. And then picks one through five, 19 quarterbacks were taken, nine of them, nine guys in the top five turned out to be franchise quarterbacks that played five years with one team and made two Pro Bowls. That is 47.4%. So the proof is there, especially in today's NFL. You can point to Deshaun Watson. You can point to Patrick Mahomes. Sure, those examples exist, but when it comes to getting the best quarterback, don't you want the number one guy on the board? That's the idea. That's the most surefire way. And again, there's always going to be examples and exceptions to these rules, but the rule states your best chance of finding a franchise quarterback comes in the top five. And for a team and an organization and a league that is gearing more towards analytics, why not use those same analytics and the numbers to dictate how you choose your franchise quarterback? So just to follow up here on this thread of the 80 quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds of the last 16 NFL drafts, more franchise quarterbacks have come out of the first five picks than the rest of the first three rounds combined. Can you really draft a Drew Brees in the second round? Yes, you can, but the odds are terrible. And the number one overall pick, the very first pick in the draft, has a 54.5% chance of becoming a franchise quarterback. Think about that, Adam says. And remember that the Dolphins had one of those picks once and took Jake Long over Matt Ryan, who is definitely a franchise quarterback. The Dolphins, Adam says, are in a unique spot and cannot mess this up. They need to tank and tank hard. Again, Adam Smoot at Adam Smoot on Twitter. I could not agree more with his thread. It makes tons of sense. And with that, a great spot to end this podcast and tell you that tomorrow's podcast will be the Twitter mailbag. Probably going to have a lot of your questions in that show. We're going to preview the top college quarterbacks on College Football Friday, as well as my picks against the spread. I did not forget the lock of the week. We're pushing that towards tomorrow. I'm 0-1 for the season, but I'm going to try to get back to 500 on tomorrow's show. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Yeah.